You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins. Well, how are we doing on this fine Sunday? Yeah, good to see you guys, man. Check it out. Um, I am really grateful for Humby and the great message that he gave last week on uh, leading with love. Anybody on board with that one? That was a good one, right? And then uh, two weeks ago, you uh, got to hear our dear friend, Dr. Lorena, and she gave a great talk on cultural humility. Uh, There's Lorena right there. Would you guys show some love to Lorena for that awesome message a couple of Sundays ago? That was... uh, Fantastic. You know, um, it's Father's Day, so I should say something about it, right? And uh, how many fathers we got here? Can we give it up for the fathers there? And uh, happy Father's Day to you fathers. Uh, For my dad, Pop, if you're watching online today, I love you. I thank God for you in all the many ways that you've blessed me and uh, raised me up. Thank God for you. And uh, I'm very happy about being a dad. You know, dads, if you can get on board with this part of the service today, is that I think that uh, Father's Day is all about making dads happy. So I think that our family members should bring us food, treats, massages all day long, pretty much. Uh, any of the men say amen on that one, right? Amen. Um, so anyway, that's a good one. Uh, but anyways, uh, Father's Day is a good day. I love being a father. Um, I've got a couple of kids, and my daughter is a very intelligent uh, very funny and quirky, creative kind of person. And then my son is also very uh, intelligent. My kids are way smarter than I am. And uh, my son has gotten more bold as he grows older. In fact, we were taking a walk on the Riverwalk this past week, uh, talking about life and all that, like you do. And he picked up a snake. I brought a picture of it. You know, a lot of, a lot of parents, they put those stickers on their cars, like, my kid's an honor student. I couldn't care less about that. I want a, a sticker that says, my kid picked up a snake on the Riverwalk, right? Um, I encourage this kind of thing, and I love this kind of boldness. It's like, son, you just can't pick up snakes and bring them to church, okay? We're not going to be a snake handler church. Uh, That won't work out at all. But uh, today is all about making dads happy. Uh, So that should be your goal, ladies and children, for the rest of the day. Make your dads happy. Um, And I'm a generally happy person. Uh, You know, uh, some of the things that make me happy, I'm happy that the church is doing well and it continues to grow. Um, now, it does make me happy to see the church grow. It does bring a little bit of a challenge. And so would you guys join me in praying that God would show us, uh, we're thinking about a potential relocation somewhere else in the urban core uh, in the coming years um, because of space uh, problems here. And remember, um, uh, this church is not about a place. It's about people. And if we want to be about a place, we can end up like all the cathedrals in Europe that are empty as museums. But this is about, this isn't about some ornate building or something like that, but it's about serving people. And so that's what we're thinking. So would you guys join me in praying about that? Um, And so in the coming years, we hope to find a solution to that. But we all are in this quest to find happiness, and much of what we're talking about today has to do with happiness. Uh, We've all done a lot of different things to make ourselves happy, and I think about my happiness journey over the years, and I've tried all this stuff to make myself happy, and I've tried the skydiving and bungee jumping and, you know, stuff like that, Uh, but you can't live your whole life in like an adrenaline rush, can you? You know, uh, some of us like to eat good food and uh, do all that, and it makes us happy for a time, but it's just not lasting, is it? And so um, as you think about the things that you've done 
to make you happy. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with the pursuit of happiness, but I've talked to people in the church that said, you know, um, I tried like, you know, just I thought that new relationships, like new romantic relationships would do it for me. And I've talked to people that have gone from relationship to relationship to relationship. It didn't feel it, did it? Uh, I've talked to other people that, you know, in recovery went from bar to bar to bar and it just didn't do it. And then they ended up in a place they didn't want to be. Talked to a lot of people that hit a lot of career goals. You know, and the, by the way, career goals are good. I hope you hit your career goals. I hope you have great careers and find a lot of success. But uh, a lot of people would say, man, you know, just hitting the next goal is good for a time, but there's something deeper we're all looking for, right? We're looking for a deeper sense of happiness and contentment that's beyond just happiness for the moment. Unfortunately, a lot of Americans uh, are not finding happiness. In the, the most recent Gallup's annual global emotions report for 2019, the Gallup research found that lower income emotions um, or Americans are, are experiencing negative emotions um, and they tend to report more stress um, as did those who disapprove of the current political climate. Um, the American Psychological Association last year found that Generation Z is the most stressed out age group due to factors like violence, political turmoil, finances and health. Uh, the millennials and Generation Z are known to have disproportionately high rates of anxiety, loneliness and depression. Uh, so if you're uh, a millennial that's stressed out, I'm glad you came to church today, man. You're going to get some encouragement uh, because Jesus was talking to a generation of people that hated the politicians of their day. They were taxed out the wazoo, and so they were stressed about money, and they had violent concerns all around them as well. And he told the people that they could have a deep, at their core level, kind of contentment and happiness. And so he emphasizes a daily walk. Look at Look at the daily walk that he emphasized in Matthew 6, 34. Jesus says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each what? Day has enough trouble of its own, doesn't it? In fact, I can feel my blood pressure lowering when I just read that, that verse. But look at the next one. Here's the Our Father prayer. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 11, give us today our what? Daily bread. And then when Jesus is challenging people to follow him and be disciples, look at what he says in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. He says, then he said to them, all, uh, uh, all the people, he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross. What's that word? Daily and follow me. And so what Jesus understood is, is that change happens daily, not in a day. That's the transforming idea for this entire series is that change happens daily, not in a day. As I was reading through the Gospels this last time, um, I was surprised at the number of times, I'd never seen this before, the daily emphasis of Jesus all throughout the Gospels. Now, what happens at church is a lot of people come with problems and they want to come and have someone smack them on the forehead and make them change in a day. And that can happen. You know, God can change someone miraculously in a day. But how many of you are on board with the regular thing that happens when Jesus says we change daily, not in a day? We have to walk with him daily. And I want you to experience the daily peace that, coming, that comes from walking with Jesus and uh, obeying his words. And that's why this summer we're starting right now today a 12-week series that's called Read the Red. And I looked at a lot of resources about reading the red because I wanted to help you with this. And you know what all the resources had in common 
is that they were all like these commentaries of what people thought about what Jesus said. And that wasn't what I wanted. I wanted you to go straight to the God-man himself and read his words for yourself because, you know, you can do that. And any religious system that keeps you from Jesus is not a good uh, religious system. And so that's why I decided not to recommend anybody's book to read during this series other than the Gospels, and we created a reading plan. So I just sat down and created a, a reading plan that would last the entire series, and we've got it here on these little bookmarks that you can get after service if you want one, if you want to take the 84-day challenge to read the red. And what the 84-day 84 challenge, 84 challenge is is that every day for the next 84 days, 12 weeks, we are going to uh, read the red as a people, um, as a tribe. Um, and these, these uh, bookmarks have the reading plan on it. You'll also see online a PDF version of the reading plan that you can download. You can print it. You can share it. You can do whatever you want with that reading plan. And we're going to have these little uh, bookmarks down on the stage after the service. Uh, uh, I didn't want the ushers to give one to everyone today. And the reason is, one of the reasons is I'm cheap and I don't just want to use resources, you know, to people that are just going to chuck them in the trash, right? Um, but I want you to come out and grab one if you really want to do it. We're not going to, like, waste a bunch of good paper, you know, you know if you just want to chuck it in the trash. Um, but along with the little bookmarks, um, there's this little uh, red bracelet that you can tie around your wrist. Because if you're like me, when I roll out of the rack and I hadn't had my coffee yet, man, I can't even think straight. So I need something to remind me that I got to read that stuff, right? So we'll have those reminders. Uh, we'll do daily reminders um, on social media as well. And if you, like me, uh, like to, you know, wear a little bracelet to remind you, then we have those available as well. And dads on Father's Day today, I want to encourage you in this. Is it some dads feel like a, you know, you're a great dad. All your children rise up and call you blessed and uh, you're honored and, and all of that. You're good at being a dad. Other dads suck at being a dad, right? Struggle at it, right? But whether you're a good dad or a bad dad, I'll tell you this, that if for these 84 days, if you'll read the red and then just do what it said, you'll be a better dad. If you're a good dad, you'll be better. If you're a bad dad, you'll not suck at it anymore and you'll get better at it and uh, uh, walk in the ways of God. And if you're a kid that's got a good dad or if you're a kid that's got a bad dad that has given you some wounds, if you will take the 84-day challenge and if you will read the red and do what it said, then you can influence your good dad to be better and your bad dad to be better and you can experience a level of healing of the wounds that you have about your dad and put that into perspective and quit blaming your dad, acknowledging your wounds, but move forward in life. That's what the red letters is all about. So is anybody with me to read this stuff in the next 84 days? What? So... Each week during this 12 weeks, we're going to be teaching you from the red letter sections of the scriptures. And uh, this week, we're going to be in Matthew 5, where we see Jesus use a word for happiness. Um, and that word in the Greek is makarios. And makarios means blessed, to cause to prosper, to make happy, to praise, to celebrate with praises. And so I want you all to experience Macarios. Macarios kind of sounds like our word Macarena, doesn't it? Okay. That makes us happy, doesn't it? And a couple of our guys this past week, um, they started, these are guys that started the Red Letter Challenge just this last week. 
They're already getting happy. They're already doing the Macarena. Look, if you do the Red Letter Challenge, you'll be walking out of church every Sunday doing the Macarena. Is that a good time or what? <laughs> so look, that's the piece of the kingdom, isn't it? But let's check out the, the Beatitudes today. That's what I'm going to be teaching. Now, I don't have time to cover all the Beatitudes today. That's why we're going to break it up in two sections. Next week, I'll cover the second half of the Beatitudes. But uh, look at the first Beatitude here. This is a, a way that Jesus says for us to be happy, and it's kind of counterintuitive. Um, number one is to embrace poverty, accept your spiritual poverty. Uh, now, it's not saying that you should embrace you know, uh, poverty and not want to do anything about it, like physical poverty, but it's talking about uh, being poor in spirit. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, where Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So this is not so much just about, you know, financial poverty as it is spiritual poverty. Often those things are linked together, but um, I thought about when my wife and I first got married and our combined incomes were below the poverty level, and I thought, you know, I was really, you know, getting some street cred there, but uh, that's not at all what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about a far more destitute situation, and I think Jesus, no doubt, would have had the words of Isaiah on his heart and mind from Isaiah 64, 6, where he says, all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. And so basically what's going on with spiritual poverty is we have to come to the acknowledgement that all of our humanitarian efforts to do good and all of our spiritual do-gooderism is like filthy rags in the presence of God. Certainly God wants us to love people and serve the poor. That's why we have people out there taking donations from you guys today to distribute that amongst people on the streets. And by the way, Ken's Five came by to interview our folks about, you know, what you guys are doing all over the inner city of San Antonio. And we love doing that and we think that's good and we think our light should shine before men that they glorify our Father who is in heaven, not us. But I tell you this, all of the good works that we may do, we have to put them into perspective. Yes, we do it to love, but no, we do not do it to earn a love relationship with God because he sees it like filthy rags. And those of you who have been parents or are currently parents of little babies, you know about filthy rags, don't you? You know about dirty diapers. Diaper technology is pretty amazing today. It's not amazing for the landfills, but uh, it's filthy rags, isn't it? And so it's like, you throw out the filthy rags, but you keep the baby, don't you? And God sees our filthy rags, but he doesn't throw us out because he loves and values us. He cares about us. And uh, if we think about um, our debt to God, kind of like the national debt, have you seen like the national debt? I think in a recent service, we showed you the, the U.S. national debt calculator. And uh, this week, I wanted to illustrate it by um, showing you the 22 trillion debt. Back when the national debt was 16 trillion, if you would have stacked up $100 bills on top of each other, here's what it would have looked like. So you can see $100 bills stacked up surrounding the Statue of Liberty and dwarfing it, basically. And if you can imagine, you owe that amount of money, if you did, and then you come before the person that you owe the money to with a penny to try and pay it off. That's like you and I trying to pay off our spiritual sin debt with our good religious deeds, see? 
uh, it, it's just not enough. It's far too little too late. But before you can be happy, you have to recognize that things are not okay and that our sin is not okay. And the happiness that you get from recognizing your spiritual poverty is that you receive the kingdom. Look back at Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus talks a lot about a kingdom, okay? And as you hear the word kingdom, don't think about, you know, Christian colonizing or taking over uh, the world or something like that. Uh, But the kingdom is a kingdom that is now and it's in the future. So you see throughout the gospels, when you guys read through the red, you'll see Jesus say things like the kingdom of God is at hand. It's near, it is here. And as you and I, obey the gospels and obey what Jesus teaches us, we will see these glimpses of the kingdom of God now in this life. The kingdom is not just pie in the sky in the future, but it is something that we can experience right now. Remember in the Lord's prayer, he he tells us to pray, Father, bring your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. But there is also a kingdom later. So certainly we've got to stay focused on the kingdom now and bringing it to the reality of people who are hurting But also we can look forward to a kingdom that's going to happen later where we receive like an ultimate healing of our physical bodies. In fact, sometimes I dream about uh, the upgrades that I'm going to get to my physical body. It won't be that different than it is now. But, you know, here's a picture of it right there. It's like if you get to heaven someday and you see this dude, you're like, Pastor Doug actually made it in, right? Uh, And there he is right there. But uh, that's someday in the future you and I will have what the Bible calls glorified bodies. All of the creation will be in unity, and there won't be this tension with the environment. There won't be tension with the animal kingdom and that. So uh, I see in the scriptures that the lion will lay with the lamb in the future, and I know that's symbolic in some ways, but also I believe the animal kingdom will be represented in the future kingdom. Maybe even the dinosaurs will be there, and we can walk among them and climb on them without being eaten like in Jurassic Park or something like that. The future kingdom will be an amazing time, but until that time, we bring the kingdom now. But when you realize your spiritual poverty, it leads you to Number two, mourning. You mourn over your spiritual condition. Matthew 5, 4 tells us this. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And when you think about mourning, you probably think about when you've lost someone to a death. A lot of us in this room have felt the pain of losing someone that we love. Those of you that are younger, perhaps even you've lost a grandparent, and that was the first wound in your life when you lost that significant person in your life. And at my age, you know, just over the past few years, I've lost several people that where it really hurt, you know, where it really got to me. And sometimes I'll see these reminders of them or I'll hear something that reminds me of them and it, it hits. You know, what I, you know what I'm talking about. And I'll go by myself and cry it out a little bit. And it does heal over and get better the more cries, doesn't it? What Jesus is talking about here is that there's a time for us to mourn over our own sin, not just our circumstances, not our losses. Have, we, have, have you ever spent some time mourning your own sin? looking in the mirror and seeing what your sin has done to other people, yourself, and most of all, to God. 
that's the kind of mourning we're seeing over here is a good cry over my own sin and the happiness that you get from crying over and mourning over your own sin and spiritual poverty is that you receive God's comfort. Look at the second part of that verse, Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And remember, all of this is in the context of kingdom. So there's comfort in the kingdom now and in the kingdom later. The kingdom now, comfort comes oftentimes, most of the time, through people. I think about a time in my life when I was mourning my own sin, seeing the depravity within my own heart and soul, coming to a place of understanding how many people I've hurt and uh, how I've hurt myself and most of all hurt God through my sin. And there were Christ followers that embraced me during that time of my life and their embrace felt very much like the embrace of God. It brought healing to me. Sometimes I collapse in their arms because I needed it so badly. And I gotta tell you this is that as a tribe, of people, uh, to the degree that you and I can embrace and be the comfort of God to people who are mourning over their own sin, that is the degree to which we can experience the kingdom of God here on this earth in our church. There's also going to be a kingdom future kind of comfort that comes for those who mourn. See, in this life, we get healed to a degree But I've talked to older people than myself who are closer to death, and some have told me that even though they've been healed to a large degree from the pain and wounds of their past, that sometimes there's still a little bit of an ache in there, isn't there? And some of us have healed up and done due process, but there's still just this little bit, this inkling of dissatisfaction and aching in our soul's but that will be ultimately touched and healed by God in the future kingdom. As we read in Revelation, it says he's gonna wipe every tear from our eyes. And we all long for that day, do we not? And so hang on with hope and hang on and continue to bring his kingdom here until the future kingdom comes and you experience that ultimate comfort from the touch and embrace of God. But after you mourn and receive comfort, you're ready to apply the next beatitude. And that's number three, meekness. Let your life be characterized by meekness, not weakness. Look at Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And so the reason that I had to word it the way I did is that, you know, be characterized by meekness, not weakness, is because as you hear the word meek, a lot of people Uh, think that meekness and weakness are the same thing, and that's not even close to being true. The the word for meekness here actually means strength under control. And so the word picture, if you read about this and study it, is of a stallion being broken, so it's useful. You know, uh, my grandfather was like a real cowboy. He wasn't one of these, like, urban cowboys, you know, that gets the fancy boots and, you know, the nicely shaped hat. I mean, his, his boots had some scars, and his truck wasn't like a Cadillac, you know, on, you know, lifted up on a lift kit, man. It was beat up, and he worked a farm, and he had cows, and he had horses, and he had this one horse. She, it, was a, it was a white Mare, By the way, urban people, a mare, that's a female horse is what that is, okay? Um, but uh, the white mare's name was Gogo. And uh, that's a great name, isn't it? I don't know why they thought of that, Gogo. I should have named one of my kids that, you know, Gogo or whatever. But anyways, uh, Gogo was a great horse, and she, w- she had to be broken. 
and trained by my grandfather for a noble purpose. See, what he wanted to allow her to do is carry the grandkids around. And so when I was one of the grandkids, I could literally walk underneath her stomach with no problem. And I was a little bit of an ornery kid, and so I would grab her tail, and I could pull on her tail, and she would never kick. That horse could have kicked me into oblivion, um, but I would go back there and just, yeah, 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 you know, and, and, and pull on her tail like that, and she never would kick or anything. I could get on Gogo's back. They put me on her back, and I could ride all over the pasture, and I'd try and make her jump over a fence and go to another pasture, and she'd just stop. Uh, like, I'd try and make her swim through the pond with me on her back, and she'd just stop at the edge. She was kind of like a babysitter and a horse all in one, right? Uh, but she got that way because she had been broken by her master who had a noble purpose for her. Look, have you ever been to horsey school? You know what I'm talking about, too. And it, it, it's funny to talk about, but it's not really funny to live through, is it? A lot of us in this room have been through horsey school, through the school of brokenness. And you know, it doesn't happen in a day, does it? Brokenness happens daily, not in a day. And you want it to be over, don't you? Because it hurts so bad. But I want to encourage you right now, if you're in horsey school right now, just lean into it and embrace it. And don't try and take a shortcut out of it. There is no shortcut if you really want to get the whole, whole deal. And if you want to be prepared for the noble plan that God has for you, there's no shortcut through horsey school. And so you just acknowledge, God, I get I, it, this hurts right now, but I'm just saying, God, I'm not in control, but you are. And so I submit to you. And when you submit to him uh, and you're broken, you get to get out of horsey school and learn your noble purpose on this earth to bring his kingdom here and to serve and love other people. And you know, for a lot of us, one of the hardest things to do is when we see people that we love going through horsey school. Oh, it's awful, isn't it? Because we just want to rescue, don't we? We just want to keep them from feeling the pain of what they're going through. And some of the hardest things for us to do sometimes, particularly those of us that are parents, is to say, I'm going to allow my kid, I'm going to allow that person, I'm going to allow that relative to experience the breaking of horsey's school, and I'm not going to enable them because that only keeps them in the school of brokenness longer, see? But how does meekness bring about happiness, this brokenness, this meekness? Well, it brings an inheritance. Look at the second half of Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek, for they will, what's that next word? Inherit. As you're reading through the red, pay attention to that word inherit. And most of the time what you'll find is that the word inherit, inherit is not about inheriting heaven someday when you die, but it's most of the time about receiving an inheritance in this life and an inheritance that you will realize in the future. Inheritance is a big deal in the scriptures. And I was curious about some of the largest inheritances in the United States. And the one I found in my little search was Alice Walton. She inherited part of the Walmart fortune. So she's worth um, $42.2 billion, with a B, dollars, making her uh, the second richest woman in the world right now. But what I, I want you to understand is that to us right now, that feels like a lot, doesn't it? 
42.2 billion. Um, but that's really nothing compared to what some of you who in this life may not have a ton of resources. Maybe you do, maybe you don't, but you've been faithful with what God has given to you and you've gone through brokenness. And in the next life, he will give you an inheritance that's gonna make Alice Walton feel like she was poor because the inheritance of God is significant and it's beyond what you and I can even fathom with these finite minds in our physical bodies currently. But let's look at the last one, and that is hunger. The last beatitude is to let your life be characterized by spiritual hunger and thirst. Um, you know why a lot of us don't get filled with God and filled with the Spirit the way we want? It's because we're hungry for a lot of stuff and we're thirsty for a lot of stuff or we're trying to quench our spiritual thirst through a lot of stuff that doesn't fill us. Um, I was inspired. I'm, I'm kind of a sucker for animals. And I was inspired by this dog named Barilla who was hungering and thirsting. Take a look at her story. appreciate the people that uh, help animals in that way. And, you know, one of the things that I was thinking as I watched that video, you know, first of all, you know, I kind of may, maybe leaked a little bit of testosterone, but I hid it from people. Uh, anyways, I was thinking to myself, you know, if I were to hunger and thirst for God, like Barilla was hungry for dog food and was thirsting for just a little bit of water each day, I think God might be able to do something in my life, you know? Could we be a people that hunger and thirst for God and for his righteousness? We're so hungry that we want to read these. We can't wait to get to our spiritual food and reading his word through the red letter challenge each day, the words of Jesus. And, you know, Barilla didn't come to a place of health in, one, in a day, did she? But it happened because daily she was eating. Daily she was getting a little bit to drink. And I had this friend that, uh, I met recently, and he just has gotten over alcoholism, and he was struggling so bad in his alcoholism that he was telling me, he said, Doug, you know, I went three days, and I was, I was going to commit suicide on the third day because my life had gotten so out of control. I was just done, and each day I prayed, God, would you please reveal yourself to me, or I'm going to take my own life, and on the third day, God filled him with the Spirit, and he said, my deal with God is that I have to get up every day at 4.30, and I have to go back into the word and go after him for an hour and he fills me and it lasts 24 hours. And then I have to do it again the next day because my friend has understood that change and freedom happens daily 
not in a day. And look, we have got to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And what uh, the Bible tells us here in the second half of Matthew 5, 6, it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be what? Filled. And when you saw Barilla there on that little video, that little dog on the last scene where she's running around, she's playing, she's happy, I believe that is a picture of what God wants for you and I in our lives. But it's not gonna happen a day, but it'll happen when daily we seek after him. Daily we eat on the bread that is his word. Daily we drink in and allow ourselves to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. It's like described as living water in John 4, 14. It says, whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him or her a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, in that passage, when it talks about springing up to eternal life, it's not talking about getting to earning heaven when you die someday. It's talking about springing up eternal life in this life, in the kingdom now, so that the spring water can quench the thirst of other people around you that are struggling and hurting. And look, in this series, if we really do this, if we really take the red letter challenge, you know, 84-day challenge as a tribe, we're gonna be a people by the end of it that's changed because we didn't expect it to happen in a day, but we went after it daily. See, we're gonna be a people that experiences to a degree in this life the comfort of God because we mourned over our own sin and we will experience the rewards of God in this life and in the future because of our meekness and we'll be filled if we really get hungry and thirsty for God enough to do it, see? So as Jesus was hanging on the cross, um, he said these little words. He said, you know, he said several things, but one is Jesus said, he's dying there and he says, I thirst, I thirst. Because Jesus was so thirsty to fulfill the will of God in his life, he was willing to suffer to do it. And you know that they offered him something to drink, didn't they? Two times, if you've read through the Gospels. And the first time they put this bitter solution up on a pole, soaked in, drenched, you know, a cloth drenched in this solution. And what scholars believe is that the liquid that was in that cloth uh, was a pain-numbing solution that a lot of family members who were having family members executed would offer up to their, their family, their husband, their their sons, daughters, whatever, uh, to numb the pain of the crucifixion. And Jesus declined that when he said no, because he wanted to feel all the pain of it. And then the second solution that was offered up to him on a pole was in this drenched cloth, and he accepted that one the second time. What was in that one? Well, it was like a bitter wine that a lot of soldiers would drink that would actually quench their thirst so that they can continue to fight. So you see what Jesus is doing there. It's that he wants to feel all the pain. He doesn't want to go short. He wants to feel all the pain of the crucifixion. And he wants to quench his thirst enough to continue to fight for the baby that he didn't throw out with the filthy rags. You know who that baby is? That would be you. And that would be me. And God, because of his love, because he's such a good father and he's always about adopting children, he, by his sovereign hand, is directed, nudged, guided in a gentle way. Someone here today, you thought you were just coming here today to 
pacify your dad. Or dad's just to pacify your kid. You can't say no to your daughter. And she said, please come to church. But look, maybe he brought you so you could come into his family and you could be adopted as his son or his daughter. So with that in mind, how about we bow for prayer? And as we go before the Lord right now, if you've never begun a relationship with God through Jesus, maybe you just want to talk to him. We call that talking to him prayer. You can do it in a church. You can do it in a theater. You can do it in a car or walking along the road or working out. But just say something like this. God, if you'd like to know him, God, I know I've sinned. And I get that my sin is like that national debt. I can't pay it off. I just can't do enough good deeds. But right now, the best I know how and the best I can comprehend it, I am choosing in this moment right now to believe that Jesus Christ drank of the cup of your wrath on the cross. He was my substitute when he died there on the cross. And he died to pay the penalty for my sin. And God, I choose to believe that Jesus rose again from the dead to give me new life in this life and in the one to come. Thank you for coming into my life, God. And as we continue in prayer, perhaps others of us would want to say, God, I'm going to make a commitment right now today because I know change happens daily. But I'm going to commit myself to really do this for 84 days and see what happens. I'm going to read the red for 84 days, and I'm going to take this challenge. Because I know that if I want to come after you and really follow you, I have to deny myself, take up my cross daily, and follow you. God, no more excuses. I don't want to be the Christian that kind of just shows up on Sunday and expects to, you know just spiritually eat and drink on Sundays, but I want to be one that comes to you direct every day. If that's your prayer to God, I want you to just raise your hands right now. Just raise your hands right now. If you're comfortable making that commitment, I'm not going to like guilt you or put you on camera or do anything like that. Okay, thank you. God, I pray that you'd bless those who just raised their hands and some for whatever reason didn't. I pray you'd bless them too. And as a tribe, as we seek you, in and through the red letters of Jesus. I pray that you would be about comforting our hearts and bringing rewards and filling us with your spirit so that we can be like springs overflowing to others. Thank you for what you're doing among us. We love you and pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.